I feel like I've gotten that Life 101 course from being the editor-in-chief of Chicken Soup for the Soul because imagine how lucky I am that I get to read tens of thousands of stories from people who are so unselfishly sharing these really important moments in their lives and it's given me so many ideas for myself and I find that I'm much better at giving advice to friends and even to strangers just because of everything I've learned from doing this job. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we talk to leaders. Joining me today is Amy Newmark. She is the chief editor for Chicken Soup for the Soul. And she says after 14 years, she's figured out the 10 keys to happiness. Even adopting one of them, she says, can make a big difference in our lives. Welcome, Amy, to the show. I'm so excited to hear about this book, which has 101 stories. It's called Chicken Soup for the Soul, 10 Keys to Happiness. Why don't you tell us a little bit first about what a chicken soup for the soul book is, and then let's just jump into it. Yes, we've been around for 29 years, but if you're not familiar with us, we basically crowdsource. I think a Seattle audience will love that. We crowdsource our books, then we curate like crazy, two buzzwords, right? Crowdsource and curate. (laughs) But basically we collect stories from ordinary people who write about extraordinary experiences, milestones in their lives, epiphanies they've had. They pass on their best advice and tips to our readers. And it's like you're sitting down with 101 good friends who are leaning in and over a cup of coffee saying, okay, look, this is what worked for me. This is what didn't, this is where I was in my life. Maybe this will help you. So we love this way of providing people with self-help. Learning through stories is so much better than learning through dry essays. And it's really how mankind has been sharing advice for thousands of years, right? Through storytelling. So tell me the 10 keys. Let's start with that. The 10 keys to happiness. So here's what we did. I've been doing this editor-in-chief position at Chicken Soup for the Soul for 14 years. And that has exposed me to tens of thousands of these personal revealing stories that we get from people and that we publish because we actually get thousands of submissions for every book and then we only use 101 stories. So I've been exposed to a lot. I sometimes feel like I could be a psychiatrist because of all the case studies, right? Over the 14 years I've been doing this, I've published 182 books. What's happened is over that time, I've been very influenced by these stories and I have realized that I've implemented 10 keys to happiness in my own life. So I decided to synthesize all these stories and what I've learned and put together this book with the 10 keys explained through 101 stories. There are about 10 stories per key explaining how you can implement this key to happiness in your own life. These keys will make a lot of sense to you, Lori, when you hear them. The first is to count your blessings. So use the power of gratitude to see what's good in your life instead of focusing on whatever you think you lack. The second key is to liberate yourself by using the power of forgiveness Because we need to learn, all of us, we need to learn how to put the past in the past and not take the past with us into the present and even into the future. Third key is to help someone else. Because when you give of yourself to someone else, it really makes you feel empowered and it makes you feel more blessed in your own life. The fourth key is to have less stuff 
And I'm guessing you're in the phase of life that I'm in where you want less stuff. Oh my gosh, it's so liberating to get rid of stuff because it's such a, an emotional weight on your psyche to have too many possessions. The fifth key is to think positive, change your thoughts and change your world. It really does work to look for the silver linings, to smile at people, even if you're having a bad day. These methods really do work. My sixth key to happiness is to remember to make me time. You've got to carve out time to make yourself a priority, whether it's half an hour a day or three hours every Saturday, but you have to have that to look forward to. The seventh key to happiness, and this is one of my favorites and one that I really try to implement all the time, it's to step outside your comfort zone. Try new things, do things even if they're a little bit scary. You will feel so energized and so proud of yourself if you step outside your comfort zone. My eighth key to happiness is just be yourself. And I know that you use the phrase enough a lot. I know that's one of your phrases. You are enough, right? So don't be somebody else. Be more of you. You're already fabulous. My ninth key to happiness is to pursue your passion. Now, Lori, I know you do that. I do that. We do that in our jobs. But hey, if you can't pursue your passion in your job, just go to work, get your job done. That puts food on the table but then find another time when you can pursue your passion. And then my 10th key to happiness, and I think this one became super obvious during the pandemic shutdown, is to get outside in nature. It helps you de-stress, it puts things in perspective, it makes you realize you're part of a much bigger world and you're not really that important. So, and your problems aren't that important. So those are my 10 keys to happiness. And I use all of them in my own life and they work really well for me. I feel like I just got a life coaching 101 course. (laughs) Well, you know what? I feel like I've gotten that life 101 course from being the editor in chief of Chicken Soup for the Soul, because imagine how lucky I am that I get to read tens of thousands of stories from people who are so unselfishly sharing these really important moments in their lives. And it's given me so many ideas for myself. And I find that I'm much better at giving advice to friends and even to strangers just because of everything I've learned from doing this job. I like what you said about having the perspective of all of these different keys It's not the one key to happiness, but that we have all of these things and we already have them. And so it feels like more of a decision. It's totally a decision. And what I love about this is that you don't have to do all 10. If you even do one of these keys, it will make such a huge difference in your life. There are a couple of these keys that I think are pretty much guaranteed to make your life better. For example, counting your blessings. I don't know how you can be truly happy unless you really practice gratitude. And some of us are born naturally grateful. We just have that outlook on life. And if something's going wrong, we already have identified what the silver lining will be. But then some people really need help. Like a friend of mine, Jennifer Quasha, she wrote a story that's in our Count Your Blessings chapter. And she said that She came from a long line of people who were clinically depressed and she was depressed and she always saw the negative. And even when she was in middle school, she was always the pessimist. 
And then when she had children, she said, all right, this has to stop. So she had this little date book, the little kind where there's only enough room to write a sentence on each day. And she decided she was just going to write down one thing each day that made her happy. And so she started doing that. And it might have been something like I was running late and I got a parking spot right in front or my husband came home from work and helped with the kids. But she found that by writing down one thing each day before she went to sleep, it changed her outlook during the entire day because she was always looking for that one thing that she was going to write in her date book. And she said it changed her from a pessimist to an optimist. I mean, so it's really possible to change your outlook. And you're right. You can just decide. And all of a sudden you're a different person. When we hear chicken soup for the soul, I think everybody knows you're going to laugh and you're going to cry. I like what you said, seeing the extraordinary. What stories in this book would you say really touched you in kind of an extraordinary way? There's one that I would love to share with you. It's by Lynn Sunday. This is about forgiveness. I did not realize what the word forgiveness actually meant. I thought forgiveness meant you were going to the person who had wronged you and saying, you know, don't worry about it. It wasn't so bad. But actually what forgiveness means is that you've decided not to keep revisiting that negative event and reliving those negative emotions. You can intellectually know, oh yes, that person did that thing to me. But you have to make a conscious decision that you're not going to keep experiencing the negative emotions because then you're just letting that person inside your head. So this story by Lynn Sunday, which I actually started off the chapter of about forgiveness, she was so mad at her ex-husband that years after she was divorced, she was still telling everybody what he did to her, even perfect strangers. And then her best friend said to her, you might as well still be married to the guy. You take him with you wherever you go. And that was such an epiphany for Lynn. And she thought, oh my gosh, he's living a perfectly wonderful life now. And I'm the one who's created this prison for myself with all of this anger. She just said, I'm not gonna let him bother me anymore. And I like to think of lack of forgiveness as something like you're wearing this heavy cloak. Every bad thing that ever happened to you, you've sewn onto this cloak, like it's a piece of metal. And now you're dragging this cloak along and it's weighted down with every resentment and disappointment and hurt that you've had in your life. It's behind you. It's in your past. Shrug off that cloak, leave all that stuff behind you, and you move forward free, light, buoyant. That's what Lynn Sunday said. She said after she forgave her husband, which just meant she decided not to relive the emotions, she said she felt buoyant. I know a lot of people can really benefit from the power of forgiveness. And that is something that you can decide in one second and change your life. I love how when you talk about the power of stories, it feels like in every area of life, the time people really recognize they need change is because of a story or something that has happened. Well, also it is when you're going through life milestones, they're like, stepping stones where you step forward, you're on this new stepping stone in your life. And all of a sudden you start assessing things. Like there's a story in our chapter about getting outside in nature and it's by Annette Gulati. And she actually lives in your area. She lives in Sammamish Mm -hmm. and she had moved out to the Seattle area because of her husband's job. And she was an empty nester 
and she didn't know anybody and she was feeling sorry for herself, but Seattle is so beautiful. She started going out for hikes. Then she started seeing all these people on her hikes who were overcoming challenges. One person had an amputated leg and somebody else was somewhat elderly and was walking with a walker, but was buzzing along on a hike with a walker. And all these people were overcoming challenges. It just gave her some perspective. And so she made that one second decision where she realized, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm going to start moving forward with my life. There she was on that stepping stone of this new part of her life in Seattle. And boom, she was off and running again, back to having a happy life. Can you tell us a story in the make me time category? That is a really important category, especially if you're a really, really busy person. So there's a great story from Christine Byron, who's actually the mother of our associate publisher. And Christine's written a bunch of stories for us. And I love her stories. So she was a salesperson and her calendar was not really her own because it was like posted. And then they could put like sales meetings in her, in her calendar for her. So she was always fully booked and she didn't have enough time for herself or for her family. Her mentor at her company said, I know what your problem is. You don't have any lily pads. Christine said, what is a lily pad? And her mentor said, just put some fake appointments in your calendar. Put a fake appointment in your calendar every single day. That's your lily pad. You know how a frog jumps out, sits on the lily pad, gets a little rest time in the sun before jumping back in the water to be a frog again. So she had these lily pads. And as she was going through her busy day, she always had a lily pad she could jump onto on her calendar and get that half hour for herself or to do something with her kids. And I thought that was such a great idea. And I noticed actually my husband's staff has started putting lily pads in his calendar. I never said anything, but they're, they're doing that for him. And I think it's so that he could actually, you know, go eat lunch or something. Yeah. But it's a good visual, isn't it? The lily pads, like we all need lily pads during our days. Yeah. And a little permission to do that. You have to for your sanity. Otherwise you burn out. You're going to be more productive if you have that me time. I remember when I was pretty young, I I think I was in college and I was kind of struggling with a little bit of where's my life going, feeling sorry for myself. And I remember somebody telling me to go help somebody else, which just sounded weird to me. But the only thing I could think of was to make some cookies for somebody else. And I remember just those people were like, you brought us cookies, but then they were really happy. And so I was thinking about when I saw that one key of help someone else, how sometimes we forget how important that is. Yeah, because it really makes you feel better about your life. You you think to yourself, wow, I have the power to do something nice for someone else. And you really feel elevated because it makes you more aware of what's good in your own life. The fact that you have enough to be able to share with others enough time, enough money, advice to share, whatever it is. You have an abundance so you could share with others really makes you aware of that abundance. It feels like, well, you do something for somebody else. Well, that's nice, but you you don't realize, man, it's going to make me feel better too. Pursue your passion. I know we talked about that a little bit and that, of course, uh, being a life coach, that's really huge for me. And I love what you said about maybe it's not your job. Can you talk more about that or share a story? The fact is that it's great if you can actually do a job that's also your passion. I mean, we would all love that, but that's not always practical for people. 
right. especially younger people starting out. I think a lot of younger people actually think they should be able to pursue their passion and their jobs. And they're going to learn that maybe you can't do that initially, but you still can have that time for your passion, especially if you carve out some me time. So there was a story that I loved from a woman who was really into horses and riding Jane Thurber Smith, her family knows that she is never available Saturdays until 2 p.m. So if there's a birthday party, some kind of family event, no matter what it is, she is not going to be available until 2 p.m. because Saturday mornings and early afternoons are when she goes to the stable and works at the stable to pay for the boarding and then gets to ride her horse. She says that a lot of the other people who go to the stable are in the same position. This is their passion. And this is the one time each week that they get to pursue their passion. But it's enough for her. She carries that with her all week, looking forward to Saturday. It makes her a really happy person. And again, that's me time too. It's like a little bit of a crossover. It definitely is. So can you talk a little bit about stepping outside our comfort zone? Because that is something I've noticed since COVID is wrapping up. People got really comfy at home. You know, they didn't like it. But now that things are opening up, I'm hearing people say, you know, I just don't want to go or I just don't want to kind of found this place where they can almost hide out a little bit. Yeah, I hope that they'll get over that. I'm sure they will. What happened for me and why I've decided to make stepping outside your comfort zone such a big deal at Chicken Soup for the Soul is I noticed when I turned 50 that I was starting to not do things. This movie theater opened in the next town and my husband and I didn't go because we didn't know where the parking was for the movie theater. I mean, it was ridiculous, right? Our, not, our lives were going to get narrower and I was only 50. We made a conscious decision that we were going to go to grocery stores we had never been to before, try out all these different things, travel to new places. The biggest thing we did was we went to Oman. We went paragliding off this thousand foot cliff down to the beach where this resort was on the Persian Gulf. Oh. So it was terrifying. And I never have to do it again, but I have to say, The fact that I forced myself to do it, I feel like if I jumped off that cliff in Oman, I can do anything. I mean, here's how you jump off the cliff when you're paragliding. You have to run. The parachute is lying behind you on the ground, just fabric with a bunch of strings coming out of it. But the only way to make it work is to run off the cliff and let it fill with air. So it's this catch-22. You can't just stand there and have it fill with air and then you jump off the cliff you have to run. So it's a, it's a face thing. You have to run and then it fills with air and then you don't die. So I did that right after I did that. Like the next year I got cancer and I had to go do chemo. Mm-hmm. And the first time you face that chemo chair, you know, it's going to be good for you, but it's absolutely terrifying. But I remember looking at that chair, like it was the electric chair, but then I jumped off that cliff in Oman. I can do this. Wow. So many things about that story, jumping out in faith, basically. And and I'm so sorry for cancer for you, but for you to be able to look at that chair in a different way just is amazing. It's funny. When I was going through cancer treatment, which I actually still am, but I'm in a good phase right now, they sent me to a psychiatrist at the cancer hospital to see if she could help me with fear of recurrence and stuff like that. And I went to see her. She said, well, are you grateful for anything? I said, oh my gosh. And I went on for 20 minutes about counting my blessings. Mm -hmm. And then she said, do you have any unresolved issues? And I went on about the power of forgiveness and how (laughs) I didn't have any unresolved. And she was like, okay, there's nothing for me to do here. I said, well, it's all because of chicken soup for the soul. She said, well, 
we're done. Have a nice life. Goodbye. You know, so I used all of these techniques from Chicken Soup for the Soul to help me with that. I really want you to talk about be yourself. That's something that we all have to learn. I don't know if men are as insecure as women are, but I know women really have to, to be comfortable with being themselves. Yeah, probably we are less comfortable than men based on bathing suits because I've seen skinny women who don't want to be seen in a bathing suit. And I've seen guys who were hanging out all over the place wearing a Speedo. So, <laughs> right? so probably women are less secure. But the fact is that we do always think, oh, we should be like somebody else. And really, our superpower is being ourselves. And so I have some really supportive stories in this Be Yourself chapter. For example, this one woman who grew up being told that she should wear dark clothing because she was larger than society says you should be. And so she always crept around in dark clothing and that wasn't her. She had a bright personality. She was a happy person. She finally decided to buy happy, colorful prints, florals, and rock her outfits the way that she should. It changed her life completely. Everybody complimented her. She felt like she could finally be the happy person that she really was. I don't know. What do you think about this? Be yourself sort of seems to me like layers. I feel like as we get older, we abandon some of the vanity <laughs> because the wrinkles are there. What are you going to do? You're still going to be vain. <laughs> but I think we do get a little more comfortable with who we are, which is terrific. I guess that's something that we could teach younger people, right? Mm -hmm. If they got there early in their lives, they'd be a lot happier. We had another story in this chapter from this woman, Alexandra, whose boyfriend broke up with her and she was really upset about it. But he said, you have to find out who you are. And then she realized after a few years of putting herself back together after this very difficult breakup, that he had really done her a favor because all she had done in their relationship was always take his likes as her likes. You know, if he wanted to see a certain type of movie, she would say, okay, I'll see that type of movie. She finally realized who she was. And then she was finally ready in her late twenties to go out and have a real relationship. The power of words, when people tell us hard truths and we can take them to heart, be reflective and look inside and begin to get what I see in every one of these keys is happiness. But what I'm hearing like a boombox, is freedom. Well, yes, these keys are liberating because a lot of the things that bother us and impair our lives are a lot of these things like have less stuff totally liberating. Freedom, power of forgiveness, totally liberating. It's all about liberation, independence. We are talking with Amy Newmark. She is the editor-in-chief of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And this particular one is a collection of 101 stories, 10 keys to happiness. Where can we find this book, Amy? You will find it at Walmart, at Barnes & Noble, at Amazon. Your independent bookstore can order it for you. It's only $14.95, which is an amazing price for a big fat trade paperback. But that's one of the things we do at Chicken Soup for the Soul is we are a great value. And it's also available as an ebook. Yeah, I hope people will get it because this is a real passion project for me. I have poured my heart and soul into creating this collection of stories to share what I've learned with everybody out there. In a way, I feel like it's a mini workshop. But before we go, Amy, what would you say was your biggest takeaway from this particular project? We all have the necessary tools already to find our own path to happiness. It's not like you have to win the lottery to be happy. Everybody has that special lottery ticket that's going to buy them 
happiness. I think you just have to believe that you really can do it. Pick up the book, try what you see in one story will make such a difference. Then try another story. It will make such a difference. Some people, the way they use our books, is they say, okay, there are 101 stories. I'm going to read one every night and think about it. And then read another one the next night and think about it. And that's how they digest all of this amazing advice. It's like a daily devotional. If if you're religious, you do like a daily devotional. This is like a daily, yeah, you're right. A daily shot in the arm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I work with people in recovery, and one of the things that is a commitment to them is many things on this list. One is gratitude, but also is that daily personal growth. Now I will be saying, get a chicken soup for the soul book and read one story a day towards your personal growth. What an amazing thing to be able to do to help people, to empower them to become the happy, wonderful people that they were meant to be. That's what we're here for. I do have one more question. Absolutely. What brought you to this work? Oh my gosh. It is, it's a very strange story because I was a corporate executive. I had been a Wall Street analyst. I ran a hedge fund. I was a security analyst, which means analyzing stocks on Wall Street. So I did all that stuff. Really, the only emotions I dealt with in my job were fear and greed, right? Those classic Wall Street emotions. Wow. My husband and I were looking for something new to do. I've already retired twice. I came out of retirement again to do this. (laughs) We were looking for something to do, and we came upon Chicken Soup for the Soul, which was for sale. My husband saw how he could turn Chicken Soup for the Soul into a big media company, which he's done. And I read about a hundred of the old books and realized, oh my gosh, here I am, this Wall Street person, but actually secretly all along, I've been the editor in chief of Chicken Soup for the Soul. It was just lurking inside me waiting to come out. We bought the company in 2008. He went ahead and built this media company, Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment. And I went ahead and relaunched our book business with my new attitude to it and all these really exciting topics. It was uh, not at all a direct path. Isn't that interesting and such a shift? So this is a Wall Street thing that the only two emotions in the market are fear and greed. Right. So I spent most of my career dealing with those two emotions. To and freedom and happiness. <laughs> yeah, now, now I deal with the whole panoply of emotions. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking time with us. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week while we continue to talk with people that are making a difference.